you're visiting with us today, uh, just a few weeks ago we finished a book of the Bible, and we're sort of in between right now. We will be in God's Word today, and as I look at the uh, calendar now, and by God's grace uh, project, uh, we probably will start our new book of the Bible on the third Sunday in September, which is not that many Sundays uh, away right now, and then the Wednesday night Bible study, which uh, will start in September again after Summer Unite is over we're planning on being in the book of Proverbs uh, for that study. So looking forward to that. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there are weeks we have when we experience uh, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And, it, and most certainly this last week was one of those weeks for me. Now probably the, on, the, on the low end, uh, or the low side of things, was this past Wednesday, which I'm on a three-year cycle, and... As my results came back, the doctor said I would still be on the three-year cycle, but uh, I had a word. It's okay to state this word in public. On Wednesday, I had a colonoscopy. That, that was on the low end of things, to say the least. Yes, nothing really to celebrate there. And what made it worse, let me tell you the worst. I'm not talking about preparation. I got, I got ready for the procedure. I was at Duke Raleigh uh, Wednesday morning. And my procedure ended up being delayed for 45 minutes. This is the first time this has happened. And the reason why, and the, actually the, the doctor would come out of surgery and see what was happening, went back and forth probably at least three to four times. They could not get an IV to, to go in me anywhere. And there was like the fourth and the fifth person that was trying it and sometimes multiple times. By the grace of God, I pray God gave me this wisdom. I actually suggested something, and my understanding has been done before, and then one of the nurses says, we've got to get special approval for this. So one of the nurse uh, anesthesiologists or whatever actually came and did it. I said, well, can you go through my foot? And so what ended up happening, they ended up <laughs> going through my foot for the IV. So that was probably a low of the week, okay? That was a low. Now let's go to high. Let, 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 let's, let's go to really what it's all about. Those are things in life that, uh, again, we live long enough, all of us have to go through. But there was one night last week that I was able to sit out, sit outside, and uh, there was some clearness in the sky. And actually, I stayed for an extended period of time. And I was able to see the stars and the constellations. And I was able that time, and it was a good time of meditating on the things of God. I was able, just in a small way, that night this past week, to experience the glory and the majesty of God. The God who's on his throne. The God, as I looked up and I saw the stars, I was in communication with the one who spoke all of that into existence. The one who would say, let there be light, and there was light. The one whose creative power is evident all around the one who has given us the gift of life. 
And just to have those times and those moments of declaring and sensing again the glory of God, that's just a small bit of what heaven's going to be like. Because there we're going to be in his presence, aren't we? We're going to be with him. But aren't you thankful now in this life, as believers in Jesus Christ, when we can be drawn to him that night, this week, was a special time in meditating on the character and the nature of God and who God is and what he's done. And I say, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. We find ourselves this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We will be picking up with verse 12. Verse 12. God's word states, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain grace and find mercy to help in time of need. May God again bless his inerrant and his infallible word. Let me give just a little bit of a background to where we find ourselves at in Hebrews chapter 4. Because the preceding verses have actually pointed again to the, to the children of Israel. The children of Israel that were quite frankly in the wilderness living by the flesh, not living by the things of God, they were known as the faithless wilderness generation in a sense. And so out of that, we find ourselves coming again to these verses, verse 11, and then we're actually picking up with verse 12. For verse 12 says, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. I don't know what the loudest sound you've ever experienced, and uh, you know, if maybe if you have a military background or a certain kind of background in industry, you may have experienced some louder sounds than, than, than maybe the rest of the population. But, but no matter how powerful a sound you could ever imagine, let me say this, the Word of God is more powerful. The Word of God is inherently powerful. The power comes because it is God's Word. We have the written Word, and listen to this. We have the written Word, and we're thankful for the God of the Word, the God who gave us the Word. 
We're thankful for the Logos. We're thankful for John chapter 1, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We're thankful for the written Word. We're thankful for Jesus Christ, the Logos. The Word of God is living. In fact, uh, one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament reminds us of this. The grass withers, the flower fadeth, but the Word of God remains forever. The Word of God will always exist. The Word of God will not wither, it will not fade away. Let me say this, for time and for eternity, the Word of God is with us. It is living it is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. If you've ever had any instruction in the martial arts, and I know we have some people in our congregation that you're an expert in those areas, and I only had minor ranks, so uh, I am not an expert. But, but even when you started down, down at my lower level of the martial arts, you know this. They always tell you one thing you've got to be very, very careful about is a knife fight. If there's a knife that comes your way. Because you see, a knife can do a lot of damage. In the right hands, it has the ability to do that. Well, let me say this. We're not talking about a knife fight right now. But we're talking about the knife, the sword, again, that is more powerful than any other sword. In fact, it's a two-edged sword, which means it cuts all around. It cuts on both sides, so to speak. For you see, that Word of God that can cut on all sides or both sides means this. Yes, yes, for us today, there, there are words of hope, there are words of salvation, there are words of deliverance for us, there are words of comfort for us today in God's Word. But today in this congregation, let me also declare as well, the two-edged sword of God's Word also brings judgment today. It also brings God's standards to bear on our lives today. God's Word is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, theologians have debated what, what does it mean here to, uh, is there a separation, a division between soul and spirit, uh, of joints and marrow? And I believe, along with many others, the author, in fact, R.C. Sproul stated this, the author's intent is not to divide people into sections. This verse stresses the power of God's Word to enter the deep recesses of a person's being. In other words, God's Word can go in us and God's Word should penetrate us and in that God's Word should bring conviction where conviction is necessary. Or to show us again what's really in our heart. As we prayed earlier, our, our friend Melissa may well be in surgery or out of surgery, but she's, quote, gone under, in all likelihood, what we say commonly, the surgeon's knife. Let me say this. Almighty God is the great surgeon, so to speak. 
For, for you see, he takes the knife of his word, and let me tell you this, he goes into the deep recesses of our heart and our life, and as the scripture goes on and says here, that he opens us up, and everything is exposed. You see, nothing you've ever done, let me say this, nothing you've ever said, let me go a step further because this is a true statement as well, nothing you've ever thought or even, <laughs> even thought about thinking has escaped God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that God knows every single thought you've ever had? Now that, that should be scary. It is scary apart from the grace of God and the mercy of God because He knows it all. Because there have been thoughts that have never become actions. And again, thoughts, maybe if you're married, maybe you, you know, your spouse doesn't know it. If you have children, maybe they don't know it. Maybe your closest friends do not know those thoughts. But let me tell you this, God knows those thoughts. God knows those thoughts. And that's exactly what the Scripture is referring to here. The Word of God, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner. The word discerner there means is a judge, is a judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The thoughts and intents. What, what do you mean intents? That, that means I may have done something, but did I do it with the right heart's motivation? What was my real intention? Was it to gain an advantage over someone? Was it to make myself look better? Why did I do what I did? You know, there's, sadly, there's a lot of work that takes place in the life of a church, a lot of ministry... And we hope this is always a small number, but we know it happens because all of us at one time or another have been guilty of it. And that is this, we do not always do things with the right motivation or with the right attitude. We're in our discipleship study this morning. Again, we were confronted with the fruit of the Spirit. We were confronted with such things like gentleness, kindness, Patience, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, all of those different characteristics, again, which are all part of the fruit of the Spirit. God knows, again, whether we're really demonstrating kindness. God knows whether, again, we are demonstrated through the power of the Spirit, self-control, gentleness, on and on we go, faithfulness. God knows that. Why? The Word of God is powerful. It's alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. And again, it gets down into the deep recesses of our heart and of our life. Nothing is hidden from the Almighty God. In fact, this is reinforced in verse 13 where the Scripture says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And for believers, let me remind you, and I have reminded us as a congregation of this many, many times, as a believer, we'll give an account for what we've done in the Christian life, our spiritual walk at the judgment seat of Christ. The unbeliever will face the great white throne judgment. And the people at the great white throne judgment are cast into the lake of fire. 
For you see, at the judgment seat of Christ, again, my sins, remember, will not be judged there because they were judged on Calvary's cross by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the empty tomb. It's talking about, though, to him to whom we must give account. I actually, during this last week, did preparation on two or three, or I lost count of the number of sermons I started this week. If I ended up landing here. I've got a good start on several sermons <laughs> by the grace of God. One of those I was going to examine, like the parable of the talents. I was going to, and there's actually even two different aspects to two, two different parables there, covering different aspects of things. But again, what God has given us, what are we doing with it? What, what are we doing with what God has given us? Are we multiplying it? Are we, are we seeing God multiply it, develop it, grow it for his kingdom? What are we doing with it? Because ultimately, again, it's tied in here. We're going to ultimately give an account. The good news is found in verse 14 and following. Seeing then, we have a great high priest. You know, so much of uh, Hebrews deals with Jesus as the great high priest. The priestly function. The law which could only be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The high priest that had come along in Jewish life were mortal men who sinned like you sin and I sin. Now let me say on that day of atonement though they had to be very careful. They had to make sure they were cleansed, that they were purified, and their heart was right for God. Because, you see, going into the holies of, of holies, with sin on their heart and their mind could have resulted in instant death for them, and they would literally have been pulled out of there, dead. They were insufficient for the task. But the great high priest, Jesus Christ, is sufficient for the task. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. You know, as I was looking out that last week, I couldn't see the heavens beyond what I was looking at, could I? I, I couldn't see the ultimate dwelling of, of God, the residence of God, so to speak. And I know his presence is here, and I know God is everywhere, all right? I realize that. But my eyes, my eyes couldn't see it. But, but here again... Our spiritual eyes are pointed to the God who's on the throne. Our spiritual eyes are pointed to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. That means remain committed. Remain committed to our walk with the Lord. Remain committed to our relationship with Him. Let us hold fast our confession. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. First of all, let me ask. Please, you don't have to raise your hand. Are there any areas in your life, 
And sometimes you, you, we need to be honest here, okay? But I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Are there some areas in your life where you're really weak? I don't mean physically weak. I mean spiritually weak and where you're more inclined to give in to temptation because that's what's being referred to here. I think all of us would have to admit the answer is what? Yes. Yes. But we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. And if you think again that, that you're strong, remember the admonition in 1 Corinthians. Let him again who thinks he's strong take heed lest he fall. Lest you fall. Take heed. Our high priest Jesus Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses because the scripture says, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Does that mean Jesus Christ was tempted by every individual sin that's ever been known? It does not mean that. But let me tell you this. We can go to 1 John and be reminded of this. The scripture talks about how we deal with sin and it talks about the lust of the flesh. It talks about the lust of the eyes and it talks about the pride of life. Let me say this. You're hard pressed to come up with a sin that's not under the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And Jesus was tempted in all of those areas, yet without sin. He was the sinless Savior, the perfect Son of God the perfect sacrificial lamb, the only one who could be the great high priest. Because of that, we can have victory over sin. Because of that, we can have victory over temptation. Because of that, we can, we can realize and recognize the truth of God's word that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Verse 16 says, let us therefore, as a result, let us therefore come boldly. That means to come without reservation. Come boldly. Come boldly. Let me go back to just earlier in the service. I didn't ask for everyone to come forward, nor did I expect everyone to. But when I asked for some, some of you to pray for Melissa, I saw a few of you almost run here. That's okay. Because what it reminds me of is how we need to run to the throne of grace. Right? How we need to run that intentionally move toward the throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That unmerited favor of God, God bestowing on us what we did not deserve. The throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy. And let me say this, in this particular context, mercy is referring more to our past forgiveness. That we may obtain mercy, which we have in our forgiveness of sin. Amen? It is because of the grace of God. See, those two concepts will always be tied together. But we think about our past forgiveness. We may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
We know it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Remember, I have, if you've been around uh, with me these uh, months and a year and a half since I've been at this church, I have stated on several occasions that other than Jesus, my favorite word in the New Testament is the word grace. It's the word grace. Because the word grace sort of goes back to my illustration of one night this week. When little insignificant me was looking at the heavenlies and was communicating with the God who spoke it into existence, I was experiencing His grace, His unmerited favor, the joy that He gives, the joy that He brings. that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me reel things back one day. Around noon or shortly after yesterday at Wake Med. Melissa was laying in that bed. I was having some conversations with her. And I reminded her of this. God protected her. God still has her here for a purpose and for a reason. God has never left her, nor has he forsaken her. And as she is his child, she is in the palm of his hand. And I reminded her of this. Yes, there may well be some difficult days. We know there's going to be. And I could identify a little bit because, you know, my accident uh, on the left-hand side of the body, I broke my tib and shattered the ankle. Both of hers are broken. So I just understand things from one leg perspective, so to speak. But I reminded her that God's grace was going to indeed be sufficient. That I reminded her this, God was going to bring her through this. And God could bring her through this stronger than ever. God can do that. Nothing is impossible with him. You see, maybe during yesterday and today, she may well understand the meaning of this a lot more than many of us either standing or seated right now does. Obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You may be the only one here today that really knows what your need is. God knows. God knows what your need is right now. Let me tell you this. I want you to come boldly to the throne. I want you to come boldly today. That you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to come boldly to his throne today. Doesn't mean necessarily you'll come to the altar, but let me tell you, you need to go to the throne today. 
You need to take it to him today. His grace is sufficient today. His grace is sufficient tomorrow if he tarries and we're here. His grace is always sufficient. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, the good news is this, we have his grace and it's being freely bestowed upon us. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Some of you today, let me say this. You've never taken your sin, your past, and you've never sought his forgiveness. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you wonder in your heart and life whether you're truly saved, whether you've truly been born again, because you've never repented of your sin, you've never obtained His mercy, that mercy again that was purchased on the cross, come to Jesus today. He'll save you. He'll set you free. Be thankful for His grace. But during this time of invitation as well, I want you to seriously pray. Father, what do I need to come boldly to the throne about today? What do I need to boldly bring to the throne of grace today? Amen? Aren't you thankful he's on his throne? Congregation, please stand for this time of invitation. Respond as the Holy Spirit touches your heart.